You're listening to episode 204 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. I'm not even sure if I should do a formal intro for today's guest because honestly, he packs so much energy that I should have just asked him to do the intro for us. (laughs) Seriously. Chris Farrell is a popular in-demand speaker, having worked with and spoken on stage with Brian Tracy, Gary Vaynerchuk, Damon John, and T. Harv Ecker, amongst others. Chris Farrell is one of the most respected, successful internet marketers in the industry today. His online training products have helped tens of thousands of people create and grow their online business. A shared interest to educate younger people about money and business brought Chris and his business partner, Paul O'Mahony, together to launch their foundation, Financial Freedom. They are now on a mission to empower 5 million kids and teens in the next two years to lead extraordinary lives, starting with becoming smart with money. I am wildly passionate about instilling good financial habits with my kids, and I took so much valuable information away from my conversation with Chris. I know you will too. While you're listening today, I would love for you to share what resonates with you. You can screenshot that you're listening and share on Instagram, tag me in it at mindbizlife, or simply share this episode with a friend. This little old podcast is in 153 countries and counting, and this is largely because of you taking the time to share. I've also got to remind you about our new podcast series. The Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast is now serving up not one, not two, but three weekly episodes. Our newest series, Awaken Your Soul Sunday, is a storytelling series that shares life's biggest aha moments in the words and voice of that week's featured storyteller. Last week, retired NFL veteran Arthur Motes shared a story on adversity and the power of being vulnerable. If you haven't caught the series yet, go back and tune in after you've played through today's conversation. You can never have too much life mastery tools, tips, or stories. All right. Are you ready to meet Chris? You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business and Life. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey Chris, welcome to the show. I'm pumped to have you join me today. Lauren, what an introduction. What an invite. It's a thrill to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you, everyone, for the Master Your Mind Business and Life podcast for being here. It's a pleasure to spend some time with you, Lauren. Well, I am so excited because I love your enthusiasm, and I know that this is just going to make our conversation that much better. But you, as well as your business partner, are on a mission to empower 5 million kids and teens in the next two years to become smart with money. And I love this mission, and I know we have a lot to unpack around it. But I also know that your background is in internet marketing. So color me curious. I want to know the background story as to what led you to focus on educating the youth about money and business. Cool. Of course, Lauren. Well, very long story short, some listeners may be pleased to hear already, but you're right. Um, essentially, myself and my business partner, we kind of really teach entrepreneurship and how to start and how to how to scale a business, primarily online businesses. And um, we were putting on some events a few years ago, and primarily uh, adults were, were at the event. And it was during the events that 
all of us as adults, I have them, you have them, I suspect most of our listeners have them. We all sort of have limiting beliefs, don't we? We all sort yeah. of have kind of this, this belief system about certain things, particularly when it comes to money, particularly when it comes to growing a business, starting a business, scaling and, and making money. And some of the attendees just happen to have brought uh, their children to the event because the babysitters have fallen through or, or, or whatever. But I remember one event in particular, there was one uh, teen, I think he was 13 years old, and we were talking about essentially affiliate marketing, building a list of people interested in a particular subject matter, building a relationship with those people so they know, like, and trust you first before recommending a product or a service that they may be interested in. We're explaining how that works. And during a lunch break, uh, a 13-year-old very quietly had been sitting towards the back of the room and been listening to what we were talking about, and he had a small Twitter following, and he decided to create an affiliate link. Any reason I'm laughing is it's so crazy what he did. He decided to create an affiliate link for a soap product would you believe tweeted it to his followers and he made one $130 in sales during a lunch break what? and so I know right and what was amazing about that I mean obviously the, the money of course was was nice for the, for the young fella but really it was the fact that okay this is something that can work and most of the adults in the room you can kind of you could hear them thinking how dare he kind of like blow apart all our you know hesitations and frustrations as to why we shouldn't explore setting up a business. And it was then that me and my business partner thought, maybe, maybe we should be focusing on the next generation. Because I don't know about you, Lauren, but I certainly, you know, even as an adult, we all still struggle with money. And are we, you know, even justified to have wealth? I had no financial uh, literacy skills taught to me when I was a kid. So it was then that we decided, you know what, I think we think that maybe focusing on the next generation who of course have time on their side to get money smart, to be financially literate would be a good area for us to focus on. And I'm so excited and passionate about this subject matter anyway. So that really Lauren is how the kind of the whole thing we, we call our business fun and putting the fun in finance. You can tell I've said that loads of times, can't you? <laughs> I uh, love so, it. <laughs> so that's how it came to be. <laughs> that is so cool. So a, a 13 year old just happens to be there, makes a hundred, couple hundred dollars or was $130 you said? $130, I remember it, yes. So yeah, cool on a lunch break and boom, here it goes. But this actually makes sense. And it also makes sense as to how some adults were like uh, annoyed, we'll say, as to. Mm, absolutely. Right. It's like, oh, like, oh, a teenager's doing it. Why can't I? Because we, as I said earlier, we talk about childhood a lot on the show. And it arises no matter the topic or the expert. And a lot of times, traditional families, they have the same goal for their kids, right? Like, get them to college or get them to graduate first, then get them to college, and then they'll have the successful life. It's almost ingrained that you can't truly follow your dreams or even make money, true money, until you're an adult. Now, I don't subscribe to that mentality, and I want my kids to start living their dreams now. So how do you think that parents can help their kids develop that entrepreneurial mindset? Wow, what a question. Well, I think we need to zoom out and take a bit of a macro level, if you like. Straight away, let's just look at kind of, let's look at, let's look at the facts. Everything has changed. Of course, at the moment in the world, everything is, you know, we've got this whole zombie apocalypse going on that none of us saw coming. But not only that, everything has changed in business, in politics, in education. If we just look at the stats, one in two people, so get this, one in two people, listeners right now of the Master Your Mind Business and Life podcast, one in two listeners, statistically we'll be doing a different job in two years 
That alone, I find mind blowing. And I see wow. this almost every day. If you speak to, a, I don't know, an Uber driver, a lot of the time, they will, they will say something like, yeah, I've been doing this for four months. You know, I was an accountant or a photographer six months ago or two years ago. Now I'm trying something else. So my point is one in two people statistically talking are going to be doing a different job in two years from now. In 10 years from now, 50% of the jobs, so they say, 50% of the jobs that people will get, our children will get, don't even exist at the time that you and I are talking right now. Whoa. I find that mind blowing. 50% of jobs, there's going to be jobs in industry such as blockchain, in crypto, in um, in AI, in things that maybe some listeners have heard about, maybe some of these terms are even new. So my point is, Lauren, that as parents, we have to embrace the fact that things are going to change. We've all heard of the saying, if we do what we've always done, we're gonna get what we've always got. And that the challenge is because none of us really as humans are comfortable with change. And why is that? Because change really means discomfort. It means doing something that we are not used to. And as humans, we're built to have comforts. So we're not going to voluntarily expose ourselves to something that's going to be a little bit challenging that we're unfamiliar with because that's not how humans are. And so what happens most of the time, this is why most people generally don't change. I'm generalizing a little bit, but most people generally don't because change does mean being okay with getting out of our comfort zone. I know it sounds a bit cliched. It sounds like the sort of thing we see on, you know, in memes on Instagram and on TikTok and Facebook, but it's true. We have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable for any real lasting change to start. And so the reason I'm saying all this is to answer your question. I think that as parents, we have to just embrace the fact that, you know what? The world is changing. Everything is changing. The, the, the age old advice that I was given, that you were given, you know, get a good job, work for the company, Build your build your way up in that company, um, get make a good salary and get a pension. We all know doesn't exist anymore. And mm. one thing that, that we teach, and it almost sounds a bit blasphemous when I say this, but we teach that you can't earn your way to wealth. And that sounds almost like, uh, particularly if somebody listening is in the teaching profession, if you hear somebody say you can't earn your way to wealth, what does that mean? Well, let's just quickly let let's just quickly look at that. We're, we're not saying. Let me clarify. We're not saying don't get a job. We are not saying that. What we are saying is just having a job these days and just having a job is not going to allow you to be financially independent and financially free. Now, yes, of course, like any rule, there's always exceptions. Of course, yes, somebody may get a very well-paid job, stay in all of their life, work to the top of the company and do very well. Of course, there are exceptions to every rule. But generally, you're not going to earn your way to wealth. The only way you are going to get wealthy is you will have to have, firstly, multiple streams of income. That means getting comfortable with having a side hustle, maybe having a job, of course, but maybe doing something on the side, maybe thinking about setting up your own business business, getting good at saving, getting good at investing, all these things that sound really dull. If you say yeah. to a teenager about saving and investing, they're like, oh, kill me now. So boring. So we kind of trying to change the whole kind of parameter around thinking about wealth and money. And so one of the things that we teach is you can't earn your way to wealth. You will need to eventually have a side hustle. So essentially, Lauren, what I'm saying to, to kind of tie a bow on my, my answer here is that things have changed since we were kids. And I think most adults secretly know that, but the challenge is most adults don't really know what to do about it. They don't feel in a position themselves that they're financially in a situation to give advice to their children. So what happens? Nothing happens. So the circle kind of repeats. So that's kind of hopefully where we fit in. 
Yeah. Kind of breaking that cycle. And those are some mind blowing statistics too, but it also makes sense because if you even look at, if we go back to, let's say the year of 1990, and we're looking at the jobs that are right now in 2020, you don't know what a social media influencer is. <laughs> like, oh, gosh, I know, right? You have no idea. I mean, actually, if I talk to my grandparents, when I first start doing social media marketing, they're like, what? That's great. What's that? You know, it's like, yeah. uh, well, and then how do you describe it? Because they don't even know what social media is at that point. So, so I can see how that makes complete sense. 50% is a huge number, but it makes sense. I mean, it, it is kind of terrifying slash exciting, depending on, you know, the lens that you view this from. But we, we it's like if you think about children that always kind of rebel against their, their parents. And in the, in the 60s, you know, the te- it was the first decade of the teenager, if you like. And the parents then thought, this is outrageous. Listen to listen to pop music. Then kind of, you know, 25 years later, there's, there's the next kind of like a revolution, if you like. And we're now in another one. I mentioned blockchain earlier. There's going to be coding. There's going to be gamers. You mentioned social media influencers. I know a ton of 13-year-olds that got their own YouTube channel that are really focused on building subscribers. This wasn't even a thing. We've now got a thing attached to our hands 24-7 that can connect us to the world. Most teens, most children are always with their phone. So why not? not use it as something that a lot of people think is, you know, bad and evil, but let's look at this positively. And how can this actually benefit children and teens? And how can it essentially affect their, certainly their their financial future? So that's one of the things that we kind of want to encourage. Really, it's just thinking differently and being open to new ideas about what is possible. I think that's a really key thing to hit on too, is a lot of parents when you say, oh, you have a 13 year old who's on YouTube, you know, they have this channel that can be scary for some parents, right? They're like, oh, like YouTube, I've heard all of these stories and there's things on YouTube that I don't want my kids to see. So how do you navigate the internet, which we know can, can be a scary place for kids to be on? And how, but how do we set those boundaries and still encouraging them to have an online space where they can sell? Well, that's a really good question. Essentially, the question really is, is about, about fear. So really, let's think about what is fear. I mean, all fear is, is really a lack of, of knowledge. So how do we conquer fear? We conquer fear through knowledge. So I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of not being glued to your devices all the time and having outdoor space and, and nature and communicating and interacting, of course. But also at the same time, we do have to embrace the fact that technology is going to be a huge part of people's lives and so if we're sensible and there's parental parental controls and you can turn off comments on youtube for example there's lots of ways if we just immerse ourselves in a bit of knowledge that the online space can be very safe and of course safety is a concern Uh, but what i would say is more of a concern is not embracing this and completely getting left behind because everything is technology is the future whether we like it or not everything is Look at, I was reading a thing the other day just about, about Amazon, how they're wanting to replace uh, within 10 years, have, have nobody in their warehouses. Everything's going to be completely all, all automated. Look at autonomous cars. Mm. Look at where everything is going. Now, I know it can sound like a dis, um, kind of, um, what's the word, dystopian? Is that the word? Dystopian future. Uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of opportunities, particularly for our younger generation, if they say, okay, this is where the world is going. I want to 
put myself robert kiyosaki talks about this back in um, rich dad poor dad he talks yeah. about trends he says the way to be successful in life is to recognize trends and position yourself in front of the trend i think he uses the analogy maybe it's somebody else but i remember the analogy of imagine a basketball going through a hose you can sort of see it like it was in a cartoon so you can sort of see the shape of the basketball going through the hose if you position yourself in front of that i.e in front of the trend generally you will do well and history is riddled with that whether it was the microwave or the or the car or the computers in the 1970s this is exactly the same here so we're just encouraging children and teens to a get financially smart and then we teach strategically how that is possible and the advantage that they have maybe unlike you and i lauren as much although you are still very very young frankly which is <laughs> sickening is uh you know time and one thing that we teach is the power of compounding. Now, again, compounding is one of those words that sounds so dull. If you say that to a teen, they're going to be like this. I just want to get on Insta. I just want to check my TikTok feed. <laughs> but but we, we, we teach how things like this and we teach them in a, in a real fun way really can make a, a, a difference to the bottom line when it's explained simply how to tap into the power of something such as compounding. So really the whole purpose of financial freedom is to, is to teach children teens to be financially smart while having fun doing so. And this makes sense. And, you know, when you strip it down and, and you can see back that good financial habits can start in childhood, you know, I'm fortunate enough that my dad was a great teacher at basic money management. I would say he instilled that in me as a kid, but I remember graduating and not knowing a dang thing about oh, loans gosh. or interest rates or investing. Yeah. So I'm not even sure when I really even began to understand it or desire to understand it, maybe when I had to, right? Like it's like mid-20s, if we're being honest, like maybe even late 20s. So where is this missing link in the education system when it comes to financial literacy? That's such a great question. As far as I'm concerned, there's two things that are not taught in school, and I know that you're passionate about both of them. One of them is um, mental health, which... Mm you know, we're not really here to talk about, although I'm equally as passionate about, about that subject matter. And the second is financial literacy. Both of these are not taught in schools. And both of these are such an important um, soundboard for, well, mental health and, and financial literacy. One of the things that um, we encourage our members to start thinking about is, I'll give you an example, is as of immediate effect, any time you make any money, and I mean literally from today, whether it's money you make from babysitting or maybe you've got an allowance or pocket money or you've got a part-time job or you maybe even sell a little something online on Etsy or uh, or one of the apps where you sell clothes from. It doesn't matter. Anytime you make any money, we want you to start thinking of whatever that, let's say it's $10. You make $10, but actually say, no, actually, no. We want you to start thinking that it's, that it's uh, $8 because 20% of everything from now on that you make, you're going to save. If you start doing this now, you are never, ever going to be in a financial spot for the whole of your life if you start thinking of $10 as $8. So you're taking 20% off the top instantly and you're putting it straight away into a savings account and you are not touching it. And then, as we just mentioned, we then we, we dig a little bit deeper. We encourage that 20% not just to be saved, but actually to be invested in something that pays this compounding interest, to give you an, an example of what I spoke about earlier. Compounding, just to loop back to that, Warren Buffett, you know, arguably the most successful investor in the world. Now, I'm a big fan, I'm sure you're the same, Lauren, of learning from people that have already done what it is that we want to do rather yeah. than reinventing the wheel. In his autobiography, The Snowball, 
he says that the most common question, which is understandable, that he gets asked all the time is, you know, how do how do I make money? That's what he gets, gets asked pretty much every day. And, and his answer to that is, and, and listeners might find this interesting, Warren Buffett says, well, firstly, he says two things. He says, firstly, he, he spends 80% of his day learning. He just learns. He says he likes to go to bed smarter than he woke up, which is just a wonderful quality. But then the second thing he says, that the number one thing that he's learned is the power of compounding. Albert Einstein described compounding as the eighth wonder of the world. The only reason I'm mentioning it a few times here is because, again, it's one of these things that sounds boring. I'm sure many listeners have heard of it, but we don't really know what it is, and therefore it doesn't really kind of light, light us up or excite us. But let's think about this. If Warren Buffett says it's the thing that's created all his wealth, if Albert Einstein says it's the eighth wonder of the world, don't you think it would make sense for us to at least explore this thing? I think we have to. I think we should, Lauren. <laughs> let's yes. do it. Oh, come on, let's do it, baby. And so that's kind of, and the great thing, of course, with children and teens is obviously they have time on their side. Just $1,000 a thousand bucks, which incidentally can easily be earned through having a little side hustle on Etsy or something, a thousand dollars invested every month for 22 years is going to make you a millionaire. Imagine a teen doing that. By the time they're, I mean, you could do it quick if you put more away, but by the time you're 30, 35, you could buy your first house outright or, you know, make a huge dent on your financial future. Most, you know, most adults aren't in that situation. So yeah. we, we really just want to encourage Brian Tracy once said, he said, all skills are learnable. And I've always loved that quote. And it doesn't matter, Lauren, if we were talking about, I don't know, how to play the guitar or how to learn to speak a language or how to code or, or anything, we would know that that is a skill. And all money making is, is a skill. So therefore, mm. it can be learned. And there are steps that can be learned. But as we said earlier, it's not taught in schools. Why? I don't really know why, but it isn't. So that's what we trying to instill that, you know, it's a skill that can be learned, follow these steps. One of those steps, you know, 20% of everything you make, you're now going to save. Again, most people don't do this. Most people are living month to month. And I understand that. It doesn't matter the dollar amount that you save. It's the habit of saving. So that's just one of the things that we teach to, to help with financial freedom. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And as you said, a lot of adults, because if you're living month to month, week to week, paycheck to paycheck, just the word money, it can stress you out to no end. So if you are a parent and you have your own, you know, money blocks or you're struggling in that way, how can you instill a positive attitude towards money and make it fun without, you know, putting these blocks in your, in your kid's mind? I think it's, it's, it's almost kind of um, a bigger psychological question, isn't it? I think we all have limiting beliefs. I mean, we just do. We're human. We're flawed. So I think the very first step of any change is acknowledging that, okay, maybe I do have a slight issue here. Why is there a limiting belief around wealth? What, what is it? Is it a religious thing? Is it a thing from our community when we were brought up? There's, there's clearly something that on a deeper level is preventing us from thinking that this is something that I can achieve. Do we think that wealth equals uh, bad people? That's a very kind of kind of common. I was, I was brought up Catholics. That's a very kind of common Catholic thing. We were kind of brought up to believe there's two sorts of people. There's rich people and there's good people and you can't possibly be both. Mm. Of course, it's absolutely not true. It's crazy, so right? <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, some of the, the rounded, most spiritually advanced, wonderful people I know are also the wealthiest. And the converse is true as well. So as a parent, if you're finding yourself thinking, well, I don't feel uh, 
worthy or worthy is the wrong word. Let me reframe that. If I don't feel qualified, that's a better word, to teach my children and teens about finance because I don't feel that I've got a grip on this myself, we then have to ask ourselves as parents, well, what do I do? Do I do nothing? Because if I do nothing, then nothing is going to change. So really, we just have to ask ourselves a question. The, the, the root of any change, all change starts through education. When I finally understood that, and I was in my 20s when I kind of finally understood that, I thought that makes sense. All change starts with education. So if we want to do, if we want something different, we know we're going to have to educate ourselves on that subject matter. And that's what we're really just trying to encourage. We're trying to allow children and teens to explore the fact that this is something that can be learned, does not have to be dull. I, I Before the whole lockdown, I was giving a talk um, well, we can give lots of talks on the subject matter, but just a very, very quick aside story. I was giving this talk, where was it? I think it was in London. I'm in London now as I speak to you. But um, it was, it was in London. And I remember it was just before lunch and I remember missing my lunch break. And the only reason I say that was not because I was hungry, was because there was a, a huge line of teens wanting to speak to me. And my point is I could see Lauren in the whites of their eyes this hunger, this passion, this desire to just slightly elevate and make their life a little bit better. And I could see that a lot didn't have a, maybe a supportive home life or somebody where they could share this passion with, or they didn't have an outlet even to sort of say, I kind of have got this feeling in the pit of my stomach that I know I can, I know I can do something. I just don't kind of know how to do it. And that's really all we want to do. We want to kind of light that, if you like, entrepreneurial fire underneath children in teens. In fact, our mission is to, it sounds a little bit trite, I agree, but it genuinely is to empower children and teens to lead extraordinary lives. Now, interestingly, that, that mission of ours doesn't even mention money. Um, if you, you know, what we're saying is we want to empower children and teens to lead extraordinary lives. Now, it starts with money, because the funny thing about money is it's very tangible, of course. You know, if you make $100, you can see $100 in your bank account. But the, the, the fascinating thing, Lauren, and you know this better than most people, is if you start to look after your finances, a weird thing happens. You probably also start to look after, I don't know, your health. And then when you start to look after your health, you probably end up putting a bit more effort into maybe your relationships. You become, become a slightly more kind of conscious person. You begin to grow in the many different areas of life, spiritually, fulfillment-wise, contribution, giving back, education, family. And so we start with finance because, as I say, that's um, you, you can physically see the results but really we want to encourage children and teens to to lead extraordinary lives by becoming the best version of themselves in every facet of life it just starts with finance you could argue maybe we shouldn't start with that and you know what that could be a valid argument but we have to start somewhere and the thing we're starting with finances as i've just said that's a very tangible and easy thing to see a quick result from and so that my, my point is the increase in self-esteem that results as a result of a child or teen seeing something that they've done, often off, off their own volition and seeing some results, you can't put a, no pun intended, dollar price point on that because it increases their self-esteem, increases their self-confidence, and you don't know the ripple effect on that. It, it will end up percolating out to their family, to their community, and who knows, in later life, maybe to a, an even grander scale so oh my goodness well let me just go ahead and give a real life example of how i can actually Please. see this playing out and i didn't realize it until you just said it so my <laughs> oldest daughter is 11 and yes. i am that parent i always tell them that 
we put our own value on things. Um, so sometimes what I may value as an object's $100, I may only value it at 50. Therefore, I'm not willing to pay the $100 for it. So I'm, I'm always just trying to say, like, you place your own value on something. So something else that I do is my kids want something that's very expensive. They have to buy it themselves. Um, it's unless they're going to wait until Christmas. You know what I mean? Like it's a gift unless you want to wait for it. So my oldest daughter really wanted an iPad. And I was like, that's great. You start saving for it. So she has seen me make money envelopes, cash envelopes all the time where I write a goal on it. And it could be for a holiday, vacation, or debt, whatever it may be. And then I just put it on the refrigerator. And anytime I have extra cash, like whether that's from flipping furniture or whatever it may be, you know, selling something, I put the cash in that envelope. It goes through that goal and then you rotate it. So she took this upon herself to create her own cash envelope, made her goal, looked up the iPad amount, like which model she wanted, um, made her goal on it. And on the back, she copied just like what I do, like a little graph, right? So I put it like in $20 increments so you can easily cash it. But then I encouraged her to also write her deposits on the back. I was like, this is just really good because then you know where your money came from. And if you need to take money out, you know why you had to take it out. So she tracked it. So I think she started this in September of last year. And then of course for Christmas, like still having this goal in mind for certain, you know, parent or grandparents, she's like, just give me cash. I'm, I'm working towards my goal, right? Like she knew her goal and that was what was important to her. So the day after Christmas, she finally wrote, like she went through, totaled it up and she had enough for her iPad. Um, Should we that day go to Best Buy, right? This girl is gleaming like, like nothing. There was nothing I I could have given her on Christmas that made her this happy, right? Like she was just beaming from ear to ear. And since then she has not even just valued her iPad on that. Like, oh, I like my iPad. It is a, she takes care of it because she worked (laughs) for it. Um, And also in her mind, the whole point of her wanting an iPad, which I think you'll like this was so she could have the program procreate on it because she's very artistic and it only is on iPads. And with that, she wants to start a sticker business where oh. she can sell stickers. So the whole goal to get an iPad was so that she could essentially start her business with it. So she's been creating all these different designs and she's like, I'm almost ready. <laughs> I'm almost ready now to get my stickers. And I was like, that's perfect. You know, I could also use some stickers for the podcast, you know, like encouraging her. I'm like, keep going. We can get some ideas. But then the other day at lunch, I heard from a um, one of her friend's parents, she was like, you know, Skylar encouraged my son to start his own cash envelope. Oh my goodness. Are you and, kidding now, me? and now he, right. And now he has a goal and he's working towards X and he's going to his neighbor's house. And it was so crazy how just that one little ripple effect of kids and friends, you know, it's like, oh, now, oh, you did that. I'm going to have the goal to do it too. So I'm curious too, as a parent, how can I continue to develop the savings habit with them and encourage her to kind of stick with savings? Well, firstly, just before I jump into that, can I just acknowledge how amazing that story is? Your daughter is never obviously going to forget that feeling of saving up for the iPad aged 11. And we don't know the impact of that. I remember when I saved up for a board game called Mousetrap. It was like four oh, pounds. I, I mean, I, I remember that. 
I even remember how much it was, Lauren. It was £4.50 in England. And that was whenever, like in the early 80s or something. But I, to this day, I remember that feeling. So we don't know the impact of that. We don't know the ripple effect. But also you touched on something almost as an aside, but it's, it's arguably the most important thing is the, the impact that she's had on that, that friend of hers to encourage him to do the same. And that's one thing that we teach is that it's uh, obviously this is, you know, great to, to make money. In fact, I talked earlier about the 20% that we encourage. We actually encourage, in fact, let me zoom out completely. We encourage every dollar that anybody makes, 50% of it you can spend. So 50%, you know, you can buy your hair gel, your iTunes, tunes, your games, whatever. 20% of it you save, 20% of it you invest. And we have a whole big thing about investing because eventually your invest 20% is going to be worth more than all your other income put together. That's a whole other conversation. But then 10%, we encourage we don't encourage we we say you really do need to start tithing as it used to be known in the you know the, the biblical days but find a cause something that really impacts you what really do you find moves you and it could be anything from an animal charity to homelessness or maybe there's an illness or a disease that you've had experience with and 10 percent of everything you make is now going to be tithed to that cause you're actually going to be we want to encourage the living in the abundant mindset rather than the scarcity mindset that surrounds money most of the time so we're getting these teens and children that are essentially living on 90 percent of everything they make and within that 100 percent 10 percent is given away 20 percent is invested Maybe that's where the compounding thing we come to in more detail. 20% of it is, is saved. So you're saving for, to help your mum and dad with a school trip or um, one thing we encourage is within two years, we want you to be able to pay to take your family away for a weekend. Can you imagine that feeling of doing that? It's like oh, seven, 16 so or cool. 17. Yeah. And the 50% you can, you can spend. So to answer your question, that might possibly be something that you might be open to, breaking down to your daughter saying, look, that was great that you saved for the iPad. Let's expand upon this a little bit more. Let's start maybe investing a little bit of money. Let's start talking about buying, you know, a tenth of a share in Amazon or maybe putting a tiny bit of money into cryptocurrency, which is very volatile, but it's such a new emerging technology. Imagine if your daughter bought one tenth of a Bitcoin or or Ethereum, if, if you've heard of Ethereum, or there's tons of other coins out there as well. Again, it's expanding our minds. It's tapping into where the world is going. So maybe to answer your question, your daughter, we say, right, 50% now of everything you make, you can spend, not give, not give yourself out. Have fun. Just go to your friends. Go with your friends to the mall. When the mall reopens, you spend fifty percent. But twenty percent, we're going to save, just like you did for the iPad. Twenty percent, though, now, darling, we're going to do something interesting. We're going to start to invest. What does that mean, Mum? Well, let's look at stocks and shares. Let's look at maybe down the road, you know property maybe and uh, i appreciate you probably can't get started on that straight away but you can absolutely buy you know a tenth of an ethereum coin or or um xrp or something in the crypto world so now there's suddenly this other little asset that a week ago she wasn't even aware of that's under the investment umbrella the investment envelope that's stuck to your refrigerator and she's written on there i've got a quarter of an ethereum and then you check the price and that's again teaching financial skills and then 10 percent, i would encourage her to say okay get used to living on 90 percent of what you make because 10 percent you're going to give off the top so we need to identify something that really does mean something to you not something just to give lip service and sounds pretty words and sounds a nice thing to say something that you really do feel 
I don't like it, Mum, when I go shopping and I see people homeless outside the store. I want to do something. Great. Let's identify something. Well, you can. That 10% goes there. So that I would encourage would be a really good next step. Those are really great tips. And I like that next step, especially the importance of giving back, because I think that is often overlooked a lot of times. Um, And having the emotion connected with giving back. So it's not just a, oh, just let me just pick out of a bag and, oh, hey, that's the organization I'm going to donate to. It's having the feeling attached to it. Well, if we, I couldn't agree with you more. If we look at, you know, statistically where we all are, we all, of course, want to do more, achieve more, be more. I get that. But statistically talking, the very fact that listeners are listening right now to the Master Your Mind Business Life podcast in your car, at the gym, on your phone, wherever you are, straight away, we're in, um, I think the stats, I was reading this in the other day, I think there's 2 billion people on the world. So the population is what, 7 billion. So there's you no, know, just less than a third that don't have access to um, electricity. There's, I, I, I might be getting this slightly wrong, but it's around this. It's, it's almost half don't have access to running water or uh, sanitization. So my point is, we are already incredibly blessed to be in this situation. And it's very easy to forget that when we want to upgrade to the latest iPhone or the latest Android phone. And so if we can kind of encourage that for our children and teens to think, okay, we are extremely blessed. We don't go to bed at night worrying about persecution or is there going to be food in the fridge for breakfast tomorrow morning or uh, unlike billions literally of people in the world. So just to have that kind of that, let's identify something, a cause that we would like to help something that is unjust that we can contribute to. Again, it's more than the 10%. It's the person that we turn into because we have identified something that is, is greater than us. And that, that has, again, the, the ripple effect that percolates out forever because we end up living not in a scarcity mindset, in an abundant mindset. And just to kind of echo what I said earlier, we don't know the limit to that, just like your daughter did with her friend and encouraging him to start the saving. Your daughter does the same for a little cause, a little animal thing that she's really passionate about. We don't know the impact that that has down the road. So, you know, everybody wins, essentially. Yeah. And thank you for bringing that statistic to light, because I'm not even sure I was was conscious of that. And it seems a little wild, right? To, to know how privileged we are and to have these basic necessities for the most part at our fingertips and to still think that a third of the world is lacking them. Yeah. I mean, a third of the world, I'm pretty sure it was a third of the world. It was either sanitization or running water, but even if it was like a quarter of the world, you know, that's still the difference. Still between a lot, one. Right. Yeah, exactly. And in this day and age, how is that even possible? So, yes, it's, you know, and I I sometimes even hesitate saying this because I don't want it to sound like it's the right thing to say on a podcast, but we genuinely sometimes just need to take a little step back and everybody's got challenges. One thing that's common for all of us, everybody's going through something. Everybody's got their own issues. Everybody's got their own struggles. I I, I totally get that. But if we're appreciative of of what we do have, and I'm a big fan of journaling every day to, to appreciate that, very quickly it becomes apparent actually we are in quite a good situation. Even if money is a real concern, even if there is a health issue, there are still thousands, a bazillion other people that that could, that our life right now would be a definition of a dream to them. Right. So, you know, let's kind of try and remember that at times. And sometimes it's very easy to, easy to forget that. Oh yeah. I, I do the same thing with journaling and it's crazy too of, just the the gratitude of the very simple things. And a lot of my simplicity, like things that I 
didn't really know how much I valued on a day-to-day life. We had been impacted by a hurricane and we didn't have electricity for, I think we were at like day 10 or maybe it was 12. It, it felt like eternity, right? Like it was just so long. And being in Florida, it was like dreadfully hot as well. And I just remember the, when the air conditioning kicked back on, it was like, Oh, like, <laughs> yes. And then having a hot cup of coffee, like the, the smallest yeah. little things in my everyday life that you just take so for granted that you're right. Someone in a third world country would just love to, you know, snap their fingers and have our first world problems. I'm, I'm interested. Do you actively journal every day, like for, uh, for gratitude, for want of a better word? Is I, that- it's a habit yeah. of you. Yes, it actually is. And I wrote a book about it as well. It, it actually doing this stemmed, I would say, like my spiritual and conscious evolution um, mm. because I was very in victimhood for a long time and I had low worth and, a, you know, I was living in a scarcity mindset and I began doing it, I think five years ago. And it's a practice that I've, I've held up. So I call it like mindful love to myself. So sometimes it's not always like I'm grateful for, but sometimes it's gratitude expressed outwardly or inwardly in life. That's beautiful. Cause I have, um, we were joking before we started this podcast. I have stalked you, uh, and I mean that in the non-weird way. In in other words, I've, I've listened to some of your episodes <laughs> your podcast before I was a guest because I wanted to kind of know a bit about you. And I've heard you talk about your your the importance of your spiritual growth. So that's so that's so um, terrific to hear. Do you have? So I'm not trying to sound like I'm interviewing you now, but I'm genuinely interested. Do you have like a particular favorite uh, expert or person in this kind of world that whenever they he or she says something? you kind of make a point of listening to them. So I actually, I had mentioned my mentor, Sheryl Turner. She's been on the podcast a few times. Um, So I listen to her a lot, but there's also people who have been podcast guests that like I get attached to, right? So I have a conversation and then something within that resonates with me. So if we're talking about money right now, um, there was a guest, Jeremy Newsom. He had, he was talking about investing and he started, he bought stocks of Apple when he was, I think he was seven years old. And oh it, my goodness. And it all started because he was watching Forrest Gump and he heard, you know, he was like, dad, what they invested in Apple, like what's that? And his dad told him about stocks and he invested. And then I think he said he sold um, when he was 12 and of course was like multiple thousands of dollars. And of course, like things his shoulda, coulda, woulda's of hanging on to some of it. But now he is in his thirties and he's, he lives a financially free life. So sometimes like when I hear podcast guests who like deeply inspire me, then they almost become a mentor of mine as well. Right. Like it may not be in the same traditional sense, but it's like reading your books, following what you say and implementing the knowledge that I've gained from you because those aha moments really do make that ripple effect in your life. Gosh, it's so interesting to hear. Yeah. I think, I think we, I'm sure most of your listeners are the same. I think having that commonality of putting growth as maybe one of your number one values is so important. I only really sort of started thinking about this probably in my, in my thirties, but you know, when you realize that growth and well growth, that's the only word I can think of is well, I think you need to in life, you need to define what your values are. And often mm. people can't define that. But when you can define what is important to you, it's like somebody, for example, there uh, might be, I don't know, their physical physicality, you know, let's say a bodybuilder, they, their, their number one value might be, you know, having to look great physically, nothing wrong with that at all, which means that that's always going to be something that they're going to do every day. 
uh, because it's their number one value. So my point is we need to define our number one values in the first place in order to be able to kind of commit to them. Yeah, absolutely. And then along with the values, like you had touched on the belief system. So a lot of things, um, especially with journaling had, had brought to me was I didn't even know how many negative beliefs I had around money until I started writing them out. And I would do, you know, like little things, um, I can't, I wish I had my journal nearby because I can't remember the prompt <laughs> I did, but it was, it was, you know, something I just repeated numerous times until n- I had nothing left in me. I think it was something like if I had $50,000 tomorrow and it was the story I was telling myself of all the negative things that would happen, right? If I had $50,000 tomorrow, um, my family member is going to come and want to live with me. So anything like right. that, that yeah. was starting to feel. And I wrote down all these negatives and I didn't know that I was harboring these quote unquote fears within me. And then I counterbalanced it. And it was like, okay, well, if I have $50,000 tomorrow, if I had 5 million or whatever the amount is, if that happened tomorrow, what is, what is all the ways positively that it would change my life? And how could I, how would the positive ripples go in. So identifying my beliefs was huge for me in that part of growth too. And it also helped me with that value piece as well. So what do I really value based off of my beliefs? Gosh, it's so, it's so fascinating, isn't it? Identifying those as we grow, identifying the, the bits about us that maybe need a bit more love and a bit more light to kind of embellish and grow. So I could oh, talk to you about this forever. I know we're slightly going to of finance, but, uh, but, uh, but it's such an interesting subject. But, it's, but it all ties together. You yes, know, it in does. The end, it, it really, really does. does. Yeah, I agree. Oh my goodness. Well, I know that everyone listening is just going to want more of you in their life. So where can oh. our audience go to learn more about you and financial freedom as well? What a lovely thing to say, Lauren. Um, well, we have a, a book. If anybody would like to uh, have a free copy of our book, we have a book called Rethink Money for Children and Teens. And we'd be thrilled to give you a free uh, digital download version of it. And you can get that if, by going to Get Fun Book, as it sounds very simple you know as it's spelt getfunbook.com and um you can just sign up there it's all free and there's nothing to sell at all so uh, getfunbook.com if you would like more information oh that's perfect i'll be for i'm i'm gonna download it myself but i'll also link it in (laughs) in this week's episode notes so if anyone's driving or busy right now you can go back and find it Chris, you have been a wealth of knowledge, and I love that you're making money fun and empowering our future leaders. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, I really appreciate your time, Lauren, and I appreciate everyone listening to the Master Your Mind Business and Life podcast wherever you are in the world. So thank you for giving up your time. And if I can help you, Lauren, in the future with anything, please do not hesitate to ask. It would be my pleasure. I'm sure that you'll agree that Chris's energy is simply and joyfully contagious. I've linked Chris's website and social channels on this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend and be sure to give the podcast a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you tune in and turn it up. I'm back on Friday for another episode of Fuel Your Life Friday, but until then, remember... Every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.